A little over a month ago, my friend Dave stopped by on a Saturday afternoon and he brought gifts. You see, Dave has been riding a Harley Davidson for years. And because of the season of life that he's in right now, he's decided to take a break or maybe stop riding his Harley. But all that matters is that he came to my house with gifts. He brought a whole pile of Harley accessories just to give to me. So I, I got everything. He gave me a rain suit. He gave me gloves. He gave me a vest. He gave me chaps. And the best thing that he gave me was this leather jacket. And I like it because it's kind of subtle. It's this really cool leather jacket and it has this embossed Harley Davidson logo on the front, an embossed Harley Davidson logo on the back. And the problem is I don't ride a Harley. (laughs) I have a Honda. And and I just don't know if I'm allowed to wear this jacket. I don't know what to do. It's like I'm having an identity crisis. You see, Dave was getting rid of all of this stuff. And and, and I I gladly accepted it. But I just don't know if I can wear it. I mean, like at best, I'm afraid that I'm going to look like a poser riding around on my Honda with a Harley jacket. At worst, I'm afraid I'm going to pull up to an intersection gets surrounded by Harley guys who are just going to beat me up and leave me for dead in the intersection, right? I just, I don't know what to do. Um, And this got me thinking about how much we wear our identities in our culture, right? Like literally, Jeep girls, they've got their Jeep stickers on their Jeeps, right? So even their Jeeps are wearing their identity. Uh, Crossfitters not only won't shut up about it, but they wear shirts with the name of their box on it. And, and it's like in our culture, our identities, be the they personal identities or our connection to a group identities have become almost the most important thing about us. And honestly, I think some of that is great. We are wired to connect with those uh, uh, who are around us, who are part of our community, and we are all unique as individuals. And so there's a sense in which our our world is celebrating something that's really kind of cool. But I also think that our culture is missing something important about our identity, and it's this. A crucial piece of our identity exists outside of us. Today in our journey through the gospel of Mark, we hit chapter six. And so if if you have your Bibles with you, you can flip, tap, or swipe your way over uh, to Mark chapter six. And we're gonna start in verse 14. Check this out. It says this. It says, King Herod heard about it. (laughs) Now we do have to stop there, right? Because we gotta know what he heard about, right? What was it that he heard? Well, the last chunk here in in chapter six was all about how Jesus's ministry was accelerating, how he was preaching and driving out demons and healing sick people, okay? So King Herod heard about it because Jesus's name had become well-known. And some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him, in Jesus. Now, now wait a minute, did you just catch that? John the Baptist is dead, right? Like, like again, this is Mark, uh, as we've seen in his gospel, just kind of throwing ideas out there. We don't even know that Mark died, right? The last thing we knew is back in chapter one, Mark had almost flippantly told us that Mark, or that John had been arrested, and now John's dead. Well, hold on to that, because we're going to get back to it. Verse 15, But others said, Jesus, this guy, is Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets from long ago. 
You see, we're in a stage right now in the Gospel of Mark in Jesus' ministry where people are trying to figure out who Jesus is. Jesus' name had become known. His, his works and his healings and his casting out of demons, his miracles had become legendary, but people didn't know who he was. And Jesus kind of was trying to keep things quiet. He had told demons to kind of shut up about it. He told people who were healed not to go tell anybody that they had been healed. And so now people are wondering, who is this guy? And that might be the most important question you ever ask in your life. Who is Jesus? C.S. Lewis famously wrestled with this and he presented what became known as the trilemma. And the trilemma is all about Jesus's identity. And Lewis concluded, and it actually, some people say this came from Watchman Nee or from um, some other writers and philosophers of that day were all, or over a number of decades were writing about the similar things. But they were all saying that Jesus is one of three things. He's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. And I want to read a chunk from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, to this point. So just listen to what Lewis has to say here. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people will often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Have you heard someone say that to you? I mean, that's still a super common thought today. And he says, that is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says that he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him the Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He, was, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that Jesus was and is God. And this is what King Herod was trying to figure out. He's trying to find, who is this guy? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? So he starts asking around and people are like, well, we think he might be Elijah. That old prophet kind of come back to life. And other people are like, well, no, no, he's a new prophet. You see, there hadn't been a prophet for, for you know, centuries. And so maybe he's just a new prophet. And some people thought he was John the Baptist raised from the dead. And that is what King Herod began to believe. Look at this, verse 16. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, that's how I see him saying it. John, John, the one I beheaded has been raised. Well, now this is news, <laughs> right? Not only was John arrested, not only did he die, we now know that he'd been beheaded and that Herod did it. Apparently, Mark realizes at this moment um, that we don't know this detail. And so kind of like he says, oh yeah, I should probably tell you that story. And he gives us a flashback to tell us the story of John's death. But you know, since Mark was a little bit scattered on this, I figure I'm going to be scattered too. <laughs> because John's death makes most sense in light 
of his life. And so we're going to jump out of Mark for a little bit. We're going to go to a couple other gospel accounts. We're going to look at John the Baptist's life, and then we're going to swing back to his death. Now remember, who's John the Baptist? Well, he was Jesus's cousin. He was the forerunner uh, for Jesus's ministry. He was a fiery preacher, and he wandered around the wilderness eating honey and locusts. And so let's pick up his story in John chapter 1, verse 19. It says, this was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? You see that same question? That same question that Herod was wrestling with about Jesus. Everyone was wondering that about John. Who are you? And he didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. This question, who are you, is a great question. Think about this. John is at the peak of his ministry. People have been traveling from far away to hear him. His disciples have been baptizing and baptizing. and People are repenting and they're turning their lives to Jesus. And that's what it's all about, right? Or turning their lives to God in droves, right? And and this is what it's all about, right? And so people are asking him, who are you? And I can think of a lot of great answers John could have given. He could have said, I'm God's messenger. And he would have been right. He could have said, I've come to give you a verbal butt whooping, and he would have been right. He could have said, I'm the guy who's done all this. I got all these people coming out here. They're following me, right? And he would have been right. But look again at John's response that sums up his entire life. It says, he didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. I find it fascinating at the same question that Herod wondered about Jesus, people wondered about John. And John was like, yo, (laughs) I'm definitely not the Messiah. I'm definitely not the Savior. So continue on. Look look at verse uh, starting in 21. What then? They asked him, are you Elijah? He's like, nope, no, I am not. Are you the prophet? Nope. He answered, who are you then? They asked. We need to give an answer to those who have sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? And he said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now imagine that moment. Everyone starts looking around, right? Because he just said what? He just said that, that he said he is the one who is pointing ahead to this Messiah, to this Lord. But he didn't say who he was. See, John knew who the Messiah was. He'd probably known it his entire life because he is Jesus's cousin and his mom and Jesus's mom would have discussed these things. And and so he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And when you compare yourself to the Messiah, you realize very clearly you're not the Messiah. And so that's how he postured himself. He says, I am not the Messiah. And I think that's a little bit of an Old Testament nod when he said that. You see, way back in the book of Genesis, God gave Moses his name. And it's a great story. You're probably familiar with it if you've been around the church. But God is speaking to Moses out of this burning bush, and he's telling him to go challenge the most powerful ruler in the world and to tell him to let God's people out of slavery. And Moses says to him, well, they're not going to listen to me, right? Who should I say sent me? Because I can't do it. What's your name? And God gives Moses his name. He says to him, I am. 
And, and, and you got to imagine that the, the God of the universe who created everything would have a little bit of dramatic flair. And so I think Moses was waiting when he said that, right? He says, I am. You ever been watching like uh, some streaming service and it just starts to buffer at a really key moment in the plot, right? <laughs> Moses must have just uh, assumed that the burning bush was uh, uh, buffering, right? God says to him, I am. That's it. That's his name. God's name is I am. Decades ago, I remember hearing a teaching by a guy named Louis Giglio. You may be familiar with him. And he made this really interesting comment. He said, there is something that happens when God says that his name is I am. And it's that you begin to realize I am not. <laughs> In fact, Giglio went on and he actually wrote a book about it. He said, uh, the book is called, uh, I am not, but I know who I, I, know I am. <laughs> and I, I think John the Baptist here was referencing this when he says, I am not, I am not, I am not. It's because he knew I am. And the missing piece in many of our identities are we start crafting our identity from inside of us. But John the Baptist began crafting his identity from the outside, contrasting himself with Jesus. Now, watch this. Let's go back to John uh, chapter 1 and look at verse 29. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I told you about. <laughs> After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I, I didn't know him, but I came baptized in water so that he might be revealed uh, to Israel. Now imagine being John. His whole life had been pointed toward the Messiah. His mom and dad had been telling him that it was his cousin, and while part of him knew it, I think what he's referencing here is that part of him missed it. Because it's kind of hard to think about, you know, the guy that you used to play with in the tree fort as God, right? As I am. And so he kind of, he sees Jesus coming toward him. And I think he's like, oh, stupid, 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 right? He begins to figure it out. So he tells everyone a story, which is detailed more in the other gospels. I'll just read the chunk that he has here in John. And it says, and John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it rested and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And I love this. If you kind of play out the, the chronology here, it's like day one, uh, John baptizes Jesus. Day two, John says, behold, there he is. Day three, John says, behold, there he is. And it starts to get a little redundant because what is John doing? He is the forerunner of the Messiah. He'd spent his entire life ramping up to this announcement about the Messiah and the Messiah had come now. And he was now gonna just keep going saying, hey, everybody, look, it's him, it's him, it's him. And I love the next verse. It says, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. You get that? Two of John the Baptist's, John the Baptist's, John the Baptist's disciples stopped following John and they started following Jesus. 
That's what John was going for. But all of his guys didn't get it because like two chapters later, if you go to John 3, it says after this, uh, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in the Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and uh, being baptized. John also was baptized, uh, also coming and being baptized. Um, it says, then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one that you testified about and who was baptizing with you across the Jordan, he's baptizing. And everyone is going to him. And John responded, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. You see what happens here? A couple of John's disciples, a couple of his guys come back to him. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you see that your cousin is over there? And he's baptizing people too. And now everyone's going to see him instead of us. You see what they're saying? They're basically saying, we are the first Baptist church of Judea. <laughs> and that guy's come along and started the second Baptist church of Judea. And now everyone wants to go to the second Baptist church instead of the first Baptist church. It's our turf. And this is when John essentially decides to wrap up his ministry by saying, it's time. He must increase. I must decrease. It's all about Jesus. Jesus must become greater and greater. John knew he must become less and less. And I think this is something we need to wrestle with. Especially in our culture today, in our identities, be it our personal our identities, our group identities, we always want to be greater and greater. But we must become less and less so that Jesus can become greater and greater. I don't know about you, if I'm being super honest, I want to be the great one. <laughs> I want to be greater. I want to be greater and greater. I want the things that I touch to become greater and greater. But I need to embrace John's attitude here that Jesus is the one who must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. John spent his entire life preparing and preparing and preparing others for this Messiah. And I'd imagine John thought that, you know, at the end of my life, it's going to be great. I'm going to get a cabin in the woods. We know this guy likes the woods, right? The wilderness. I'm going to, you know, get some bees so I can make honey. I'm going to capture locusts, maybe build my own little locust farm. And, and, and he just probably dreamed of that as retirement. And, 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 and all the other three gospel accounts, including the one in Mark, tells us what happens. We just know. We were already told. Mark just told us, right? In the beginning, in the first chapter, he says, John was arrested. Now chapter 6, we know that John has died. But there's a piece that happens in between that I don't want you to miss. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. Go over to Matthew chapter 11. Starting in verse 2. It says, Now when John heard in prison... 
what the Christ, that's Jesus, was doing. He sent a message through his disciples and asked him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. What do you think? <laughs> I, I added that commentary. But he says, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Did you see what Jesus didn't say? He didn't say to John, I'm coming to rescue you. <laughs> We're building a plan. We're going to dig under the prison walls and get you out. You just hang on. Jesus essentially says to John, I'm not coming for you. You're going to stay in prison. And you're going to be blessed if that doesn't cause you to fall away from me. Jesus sends this message back. And it's a cool message if you knew what John knew. Because all that stuff that he said was happening, the blind seeing, the, the poor hearing the good news, all that stuff, the lame walking. He was quoting Isaiah. The very book that John quoted to describe himself as Jesus's forerunner. The book that prophesied that John was to pave the way for Messiah. And John knew these words. And, and he, when, he, when Jesus sent this message back to him, he had to know that, that he is becoming less and less as Jesus is becoming greater and greater. So now, now, let's go back to the book of Mark, chapter six. Let me just read this whole thing. Just listen. For Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. And John had been telling Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she, she couldn't. Because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. And when Herod heard him, he would be very perplexed and, and he liked to listen to him. And an opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. He promised her with an oath, whatever you ask me, I will give up, up to half of my kingdom. He was probably drinking a lot that night. And she went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? John the Baptist's head. At once she hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter immediately. And although the king was deeply distressed, because of his oaths and the guests, he didn't want to refuse her. And the king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. And so he went and he beheaded him in prison. He brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And then the girl gave it to her mother. And when John the Baptist's disciples heard about it, they came and removed his corpse and placed it in a tomb. This seems 
so undignified for the forerunner of the Messiah. It's, it's so easy to think, John deserved more. After all he'd done, but his identity was wrapped up in another. It wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. In fact, one of my favorite parts of the story is way back again in Matthew. It's one of those beautiful moments that's so easy to miss. What happened is when, when John, Jesus had sent John's disciples back with the message that he wasn't going to rescue him, a message that was basically a death sentence, this is what it says in Matthew 11, starting in verse 7. It says, as these men were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. Okay, so you get the picture? Guys are on their way out. Jesus starts talking. They can hear him talking. And he says, what? Did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who wear soft clothes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. And truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I love that Jesus says this, just as John the disciples, uh, right, John the Baptist's disciples, as they're all leaving so they could hear him say it. What does he say? He says, John is the greatest prophet that has ever lived. He's not like some kind of soft-clothed guy hanging out in a palace. He was a rough guy hanging out in the wilderness. He was the greatest prophet ever, the greatest man that was ever born of any woman ever in history. And then he says, and yet something even bigger than him is coming. Is he talking about himself? No, he's talking about something even newer something that will make John pale in comparison. You know what it is? It's you. Jesus was talking about you. You see, John was the last, in a sense, of the Old Testament prophets. That's how I like to think about him, because he died before Jesus completed his ministry. So he's like the last Old Testament prophet, the first New Testament prophet. But Jesus lived the sinless life. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father, right? And what we know is that anyone who believes in him, who places our faith in him, will be called the child of God, will be given the Holy Spirit. We will be given Jesus' righteousness. And all of those things, the forgiveness that we get through Jesus, the position that we have in Christ, the fact that we get the Holy Spirit in our life and Jesus' righteousness, all of that makes our identity greater than John's. The one that Jesus called the greatest prophet, more than a prophet, the greatest man who'd ever lived. And all it takes to enter into Jesus's kingdom, even if you are the worst sinner that you know, the least in the kingdom of God, 
is greater than John. And all it takes is faith. Faith in Jesus. Faith in the one who wants to give you a new identity. Jesus wants to call you forgiven. He wants to call you brother and sister and friend. So believe in Jesus today. He must become greater and greater. And we must become less and less. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this amazing man, John the Baptist. I can't wait to talk to him in glory. <laughs> I hope he has a DVR to play back all the crazy wilderness sermons. I want to see him. And I just thank you that we have an example here of the greatest prophet, the, the greatest man to have ever lived, who laid down his life and became less and less so that he could make much of Jesus. And so we just pray that we would do the same thing. That because of what Jesus has done for us, that he's forgiven us, even if we are the least, even if one of us listening to this today is the worst sinner that has ever lived, the least in the kingdom of heaven. We just pray um, that we would have faith in Jesus, that we would get our identity in him, and we pray all of this in his precious name. Amen.